Welcome to Life in the Cloud, the official podcast of Tuple Technologies. Join us each week to hear from experts in cloud migration and IT management as we talk about the latest technologies and trends in cloud and other exciting new developments in tech. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life in the Cloud. I'm your host, Chris Reddy, and today I'm joined by Carl from Gainset. Carl is the CIO over there. Carl, thanks for being here. Sure, happy to be here. I'd like to get started by asking you, you know, tell us about yourself. How did you become the CIO of Gainsight? Yeah, I have been in IT for over 30 years, really kind of started from doing a little bit of everything, being a programmer, running the network in an office, being the service desk person, but mostly on the application side, I would say, becoming a business analyst and then managing teams and kind of working my way up the ladder on the, on the application side. But I did have an opportunity at one point to be a, uh, an enterprise architect. And I found that that was a great preparation to be CIO and to help get my thinking high enough level to be able to do a job this big. So this is my second CIO job here. I've been at Gainsight for about three years and having a blast. It's an interesting job here because there are two components to it. There's the traditional CIO job internally, but I also have a role in working with the CIOs of our customers. And so I really enjoy that external aspect of the job and being able to contribute and help, not just you know with internal systems and enabling our team, but directly working with customers. Very cool. So I, Carl, I do want to ask you more about your role as CIO, but first I want to get a little bit more information about the company Gainsight. Why was the company founded? What exactly do you guys do? Yeah, Gainsight was really founded as a customer success company. And we started with a really powerful product to enable customer success teams to work effectively and efficiently. We're now much bigger than that. And we've kind of spread our footprint. And I would say now we're really about net retention in all aspects. So it used to be the focus was very much on reducing churn. And I think now companies are realizing that advocacy and expansion are equally important and a really important part of your revenue strategy if you are a recurring revenue company. I mean, this is the essence of customer success, right? When people started getting into SaaS and selling people you know, a three-year contract for a SaaS service, they figured out pretty quickly that if you just sell someone something and walk away and you come back to do that renewal, you might get a bad surprise right? Because you didn't pay any attention to them. You don't know, are they actually using it? Are they adopting? Are they getting the value that they intended to get when they bought it? Those outcomes are actually very important. And so that's what the customer success movement is about, I think, is really ultimately focusing on customer outcomes and making sure, helping them achieve them. And customer success is about enabling that structurally in a company, right? And so that's been really exciting, but we've expanded now because once you open up that challenge, you start finding that there are customer experience elements to that. There are product experience elements to that. We've got a product, for instance, PX, that lets you get really deep analytics about exactly what people are doing in your software and actually do some in-app engagement with them as well. So now we have a broader footprint, but it's really all centered around a customer-centric, customer outcomes-oriented kind of situation. A company that cares about that generally is very interested in, in what we can do for them. Okay, very interesting. So I'd imagine your companies, like the Gainsight software, would be kind of attached to another company software, and then you could use the Gainsight software to realize 
or to you know get some very detailed analytics about how the customers are using the other software? Yeah, well, we typically ingest data from a lot of different sources, right? Because okay. the essence of customer success is a really great customer health score that's rich. It's not kind of a simplistic one. It really takes inputs from a lot of places. What's their usage? What are their support cases? By the way, some of that is data and some of it is things like, how's our executive alignment? Are we maintaining good connections to the key people in that company, right? So it's a combination of data that comes from other systems and also that comes from what we call timeline, which is a place to capture everything that happens with a customer in one place that then goes into this very holistic health score that you can then use to drive all kinds of activities, right? So Gainsight will do things like tell you, hey, this customer is yellow and they're yellow for this reason because their usage is low. And then like take a playbook in that says, okay, when that happens, here are the 10 things that need to go happen, right? And kick off actions to different people. So it's analytics, but it's also kind of a system of action as well. It's not just like a dashboard. It drives mm -hmm. your whole team. And by the way, that could be your customer success team, but it could also be people all over the company who need to mobilize when you identify that you've got a, an at-risk customer. So yeah, I see. It's a pretty comprehensive system to measure quantitatively and qualitatively how your customers are doing it with respect yeah. to your product. It's uh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very powerful. And it's something that the whole company can kind of collaborate around, right? Can use it as that place that everybody gets oriented around that customer and making sure that that customer is, one way that I like to think about it is not just satisfied. Like we used to think about customer satisfaction. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we would do NPS surveys and stuff and that's great. And, and those are inputs too, by the way, to your health score. But I think what's happened is in the SaaS world, there's so much competition and there's so much less barrier to people switching that satisfaction is not enough, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I don't need you to just be satisfied with my software. I need you to be really using all the aspects of it and getting the most out of it. I need you to be getting the outcomes that you planned to get when you bought it, right? So when people go out and buy beginner price software, you know, there's always like a business case, right? It says, okay, we're going to go spend this money. We're going to buy this thing. And here's what we're going to get out of it. We want to make sure people actually get that. And because the problem is if they don't, they might be satisfied and they might say, yeah, I, I like the company and they come take me to lunch once in a while and they're good people and all that stuff. But you go to renew and they're like, yeah, but eh, we're not really getting the value. So this is like, we've evolved past, I think as a SaaS industry, we've evolved past satisfaction being enough. Frankly, now the goal is advocacy, right? I want my customers to be my best salespeople and great companies absolutely have that going on. Yeah, I could just imagine like an example of you sell a software to a company and then they like it, but maybe the end users don't even actually know all the features of your software and they might be paying for something they don't even know that they have, that kind of uh, thing. It's yeah, such a yeah, common I, problem. I, I, I mean, that's, you know, it's funny, like that's the world we live in now. The problem in the modern world is not that we don't have enough features or we don't have enough data. We have too many features. We have too much data. We have stuff we're drowning in it. And meanwhile, there can be like really good stuff there and people don't even know it's there. I've really been thinking about that a lot lately in the context of some of these collaboration tools, something like Zoom, every week or two, they do an update. It's great. And there's some new feature or new, some new capability. And, you know, sometimes it's just a bug release, but quite often it's like, hey, we've got this new feature. 
everybody's using Zoom. I doubt most people pay attention to the release notes <laughs> that they get there. Yeah. And so my fear <laughs> is always that there are people out there who just have this great tool capable of doing good things for them, and they just don't even know what they got. And so like, I'm trying to figure out how to do a better job of disseminating that information internally and making sure people know, and actually trying to be kind of smart about it. Like copying and pasting the release notes is not the answer, right? Sending a Slack message out says there's one thing that they just released. That's pretty darn interesting. That's useful. You're helping people actually work their way through too much information to the nugget that's, that's really of interest, you know? Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's very interesting. I would imagine, yeah, I'd imagine that's an incredibly useful tool, having Gainsight. Going a little bit back to your role as CIO, what exactly does a CIO do? Yeah, I mean, I think it's different in different companies, but typically the two sort of major areas are IT operations, which is things like your network and your laptops, you know, your DR plans and your help desk which is probably the biggest and most visible part of, of IT operations and enterprise applications, right? Which is ERP and your CRM and your big business applications. Collaboration applications actually usually land in the operations team. Although I think more and more that's almost becoming its own new silo, like its own whole group, because it, I think it really needs a lot of attention. And so I think we're gonna see that growing and growing in importance. And then of course, security which again, depending on the kind of company you're in, may be a bigger or smaller thing. You know, when you're at a SaaS company, it's huge, right? Because your customers are counting on you. In my particular case, I'm responsible for security and that includes product security. So yeah, that means making sure that we get a clean SOC 2 report every year so we can show our customers that they can trust us with their data and things like that. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. It's an interesting job because you've got to be able to wear a lot of hats and as I alluded to talking about enterprise architecture, you've really got to be able to see the big picture and how everything connects. I think the thing that get into the, the application space and actually all over in IT, but especially when you get into those business applications, you know, there's a huge process component to it. And I think that's something that sometimes people outside of IT don't necessarily fully appreciate. They think of IT as being very techie, but you know, when you get into something like the quote to cash process, Yes, there may be five or six major systems involved with that, but that those systems are all modeling a real-world process. And so process engineering, process optimization, even just documenting process so that you can then build systems that do the right thing is an enormous part of IT. I would imagine developing and, and writing out and creating all those processes would be incredibly important to you as a CIO so you can automate, streamline, and also standardize a lot of the stuff in a company's IT and IT practices. Is that the case? Do you spend a lot of time worrying about processes? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing about IT is that each individual team in the company kind of takes care of their stuff, right? But nobody's in a silo. So somebody in the company's got to understand what the end-to-end -end process is. And for instance, how the data flows between those systems. So you know, I remember it, Sun used to have this tagline, which was the network is the computer, right? Which sort of captured this idea that the power is not in any individual network. The power is the fact that they're all networked together, right? And I feel like in the application space, in some ways, that integration is the application, 
In other words, if you said, how do you do quote to cash? Most companies would say, well, it starts here in my quoting system and then it's in my CRM system and then it goes to my ERP and then that talks to this other system and it shoots off to my commission system. And, it, you know, there's five to 10 systems in that, in that diagram. And so then if you say, well, we want to optimize the quote to cash process or somebody says, hey, something's broken. It's not actually broken in their system. It may be upstream, right? And so truly solving problems means understanding the big picture, how it all connects together and being able to optimize the whole process, not just one piece of it. And so that's why it's hard for one department, for a bunch of different departments to go solve anything by themselves. And IT can be the glue that sort of ties all of it together. Yeah, I see that. That certainly makes sense. I would imagine based on what you just said about the role of CIO and, and of IT being the glue that connects every every one of those silos of the company. I would imagine one of the skills necessary for being a good CIO would be, you know, being able to recognize that end-to-end business processes and having a very strategic view of the company. First of all, I, I want to ask you, do you think that's accurate? And then second, I want to ask you, what sort of skills would make someone a good CIO? Yeah, no, I think it is accurate. And I think that's why it's such a critical role, frankly. That's why it's a role that needs really a lot of visibility to everything that's going on in a company. Again, if you're quote unquote just IT and you're off in a corner, you can't really play that role of helping glue everything together. So, and of course, the, you know, what you need to be able to do that, I think, is you really do need a, a sort of process mindset. I think in some ways, you have business analysts who are doing this work on individual functional areas or, or in something like quote to cash. In some ways, I think the CIO is sort of the ultimate business analyst. Like they're the ones who are thinking about the business process of the whole company and really understanding how everything connects to everything. You know, so that kind of mentality, mindset, and experience, I think, is pretty critical in the role. You call it the, the process mindset? Yeah. I mean, I think it's when something is broken, you can take a sort of mechanical approach to solving it, or you can step back and sort of get the bigger picture and understand the flow. And that kind of thinking of, of seeing the bigger picture is kind of, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. I see. I see. But yeah, that, that certainly makes sense. So I want to know more about how that actually plays out. Well, I guess let's say more, a more tactical question would be like on a more day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis, what sort of problems do you face? What sort of issues do you deal with? Yeah, I mean, I think my main role on a day-to-day basis beyond just running things, right? So there's a certain just amount of management, having a big team with a lot of things going on. But I really think a big part of my job is to listen to everything that's going on and find those situations where people may need to pull their heads up, right? Where I can help them say, hey, you're solving this problem and you're over here solving this problem. I think you're actually on the same problem (laughs) because I've got a high enough level view of things, you know, or pull people back from a direction that may not be as fruitful, connect different people in different business groups together. It's funny, IT sometimes it's like we're the only ones who can kind of do that. And so sometimes you've got all these different groups and they're struggling to solve some problem. And all we do is call a meeting and get people in a room and, you know, whether virtually or in real life, get up in front of a whiteboard and say, well, let's talk this through. 
right? And let's understand that people say, well, we do this and then we throw it over the wall here and they say, oh, okay, then we do this with it. And quite often people have never done that. And as soon as they see that, they realize, oh, I get it. This is where things are breaking. You're throwing it over the wall here, but we're not catching it. Or, you know, you're throwing this over the wall, but we're not interpreting it in the same way, right? Because we've got different ways of categorizing things. It's amazing how often a lot of the issues that people have in a company come down to things like that. So there's a lot of facilitation, I would say, in an IT role like that. Carlin, another thing I've noticed about the role of the CIO is that not every company has one. Now, I want to ask you why is that, but does the workload and the roles and responsibilities for a company that doesn't have a CIO, is it just kind of distributed throughout the rest of the company? Or do some companies not see value in the role? Or what's your take on this? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you got it. It's in early days, it's just distributed, right? Because there is no IT, right? So if you think about a startup, some, one of the engineers is also running Gmail for you or whatever, right? And there aren't a lot of business systems, you know, because people are just running on spreadsheets and stuff because there's not, you know, you've only ever had 10 orders. So you don't need an order system. You just, you know, you need a spreadsheet, right? As things grow, they start to grow out functions and those functions typically stand up their own applications, right? So the finance group sets up some kind of finance system and sales sets up CRM system and, right, everybody kind of does their own thing. And someone in that team, again, is the admin, right? I mean, they're not full-time, but they were the, the ones that got stuck with it, right? <laughs> they were the ones who didn't make that meeting. And so it got assigned to yeah. them, right? So, yeah. so now they're like the Salesforce admin. And then in another you know, as things extend, you know, maybe they've hired a Salesforce admin, but it's still, they're inside the sales team or something, right? Eventually, I think when companies start to feel the pain of that, of being disjointed, I think that's when they start saying, hey, we need someone to kind of pull all this together. I think there's a combination of that. And also the individual business groups get tired of being IT people, right? And there's a point at which they're like, you know, <laughs> when this was just a lightweight thing, we kind of absorb it, but I don't really want to manage like a Salesforce admin or something, right? That's not my job. I'm a sales manager, right? So I think it's a combination of things that kind of drive people to that point. But I think once you get, I don't even know what the number is, but when you get to a certain size and certain complexity, I think everybody ends up needing a CIO or somebody, whatever they call them to do that. Now, by the way, too, you know, sometimes you've got those business applications and that's its own team, right? So, I mean, I've seen places where, you know, there was a business systems group that was maybe in the CFO organization doing enterprise applications. And then, you know, maybe security was in some other part of the company. And maybe there was an IT operations group that was with a COO or a technical operations person or something. So there's all sorts of ways to do this. The, all those functions don't necessarily have to be with the same person. I, I think part of the reason they end up there sometimes is just that they don't necessarily fit that well anywhere else. And so it's like, great, we have a CIO. <laughs> can you also do this? Like, can you also do telecom? Because I don't know where the heck else it would live. So you take it. Yeah, I see. Carl, you did mention security. I, I want to ask you a little bit about that. Obviously, with the recent rise of cyber attacks and the threat of cyber attacks, as a, as a CIO, how has your focus on cybersecurity changed maybe over the years? Now, obviously, I would imagine there's an increased focus but what other detail can you give me on that? Well, I think the main thing, and it's super obvious, so I won't belabor the point, but when I first started getting involved with security, it was very much about networks. It was very much about the DMZ, 
network security. And there was really this fundamental idea that if you kept everybody out of your internal network, then you were safe inside your network, right? And you could jump around to different machines and you could connect machines and you could send data all over the place, you know, and life was good, right? As long as, you know, and you had a DMZ and there was a whole sense of security around that airlock between the outside world and your inside world. Yeah, that, that just doesn't work anymore. I mean, I think a lot of companies still have an internal network and they still have that stuff. But if you look at a born in the cloud company, like there is no network, right? There's just the internet. There's a bunch of endpoints and there's the internet. And so it's a whole different strategy and mindset and approach to security because there is no safety, right? So that's how you get the rise of concepts like zero trust, where it's like, no, I don't care if you're in. And the thing is, in the modern world, even if you have that network and you have that DMZ, I think you still just have to have this kind of paranoid approach to your architecture that just says, no, I don't trust anything from anywhere. Everything's got to be multi-factor authentication. Everything's got to be encrypted. And I have to have ways to really be sure that I can trust you. The fact that you just happen to be on my network isn't enough. <laughs> and so it's much harder. It's sort of like there used to be one vault door. And if that was safe, you were safe. And now there's thousands of little doors on every machine in your company that you've got to worry about. I see. I see. And then how do you go about worrying about those things? How do you solve that problem, so to say? Yeah. Well, like I said, it's to me, it starts with an architecture. It starts with like a zero trust architecture that says, no, we're not going to counter anything. And so then you say, well, what are the key principles of that? And then you drive actions from those principles. But then, you know, I've had this enterprise architect brain too, but I like to start that way because I think if you just sort of look around and say, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's a risk. And you're sort of jumping around and patching things. Then you're spending a lot of time and you might be doing good stuff, but it doesn't necessarily hang together. And you're also not necessarily prioritizing in the way that you should. So I think stepping back, understanding the big picture, prioritizing around what you think are the things that are going to give you the biggest bang for the buck in an architecture that's appropriate to your world, whether that's you know, a world where you have a strong network or don't have a strong network or whatever it is. I think that's the only way you can kind of stay sane because otherwise you're just reactive all the time. And while you have to be reactive to some extent, right, there are new threats that come along and you have to say, ah, okay, we didn't used to be worried about that particular thing. And now we need to worry about it. So there is some of that, but for the most part, I like to have a roadmap, you know, and be chunking away against the roadmap and then just deal with things as they come up as needed, but kind of have a little bit more sanity to the process. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Well, and I want to ask you about the future of the CIO role. How do you think the role will change maybe over the next few years? Well, I think the main thing is that I talked about this sort of process of people doing their own thing and then having it come together in IT, but I don't know that it's going to do that in the way that it used to. I mean, it used to be IT really owned everything and controlled everything, like the resource were owned by IT and anybody who wanted something came to IT. And I think the new model is actually much more of a facilitation model in which IT doesn't necessarily own all the resources, but IT is the connecting point and the enterprise architecture point. Because I do think that with SaaS, people are really empowered and enabled in the business groups to do their own thing. And I don't really want to kill that because there's a lot of innovation that can come out of that. But at the same time, I want guardrails, right? I want security. I want 
data to flow cleanly between those different systems. And so I think in some ways, IT is more important than ever, precisely because it used to be that we had a handful of big, big platforms, SAP, Salesforce, and now we've got like a hundred different SaaS applications. And so that's great that we have these best of read point solutions, but they've all got to get permitted together. And I think IT is the only one that can do that. The business groups can go stand them up, but I don't think they can keep them all integrated and keep those cross-functional business processes running smoothly without the help of some third party that just does that. Sorry. So I think that's, yeah, I think yeah. we're going to see more and more of that. Could I summarize that by saying more of a focus on integration? Absolutely. I think, especially the, I mean, the other thing is, is that it used to be, IT was a more technical group than it is now. Like there used to be a lot of programming involved and now there's a lot more configuration involved. So it's not like I need armies of programmers to keep things running, but I've sort of traded some of that complexity for the fact that everything talks to everything, right? And my diagram of applications and how they're connected to each other is pretty large and complicated. <laughs> so, you know, that becomes extremely important. And by the way, the business analysts who understand the end-to-end -end flow and data analysts who really understand the data, that becomes incredibly important. Yeah. Carl, I want to ask you another question. Given your deep expertise in IT, what do you think is going to be in the future for IT? What's going to be the next cloud, so to say? Mm. What's going to be the next revolutionary shift in the way IT is done? Well, there's sort of obvious answers like AI, right? And I think that's definitely going to have a big impact. But honestly, I think the other thing I would say that's maybe not as obvious is just, I think IT is getting more and more involved with less technical things. And, and some of that is the process stuff that we talked about, although IT has always been involved with that. But even if you think about something as basic as uh, your laptop and your core tools that you use, you know, we used to give people the Microsoft Office suite and basically say, good luck with that. Here are your tools, right? And they were pretty basic tools and, and that was it. I think, you know, as I was sort of alluding to earlier, the, with tools like Slack and Zoom, with some of these more collaborative tools, I think people need a lot more guidance, honestly, and help navigating, like, which tool do I use? I have a lot of tools and a lot of them do similar kinds of things. So when should I use which tool for what? How do I get the most out of those tools? So I think that IT is evolving to be a lot less sort of throwing tools over the wall to people and a lot more engaged in helping them get the most out of them. It's funny, there's kind of a, an analogy to customer success, right? It's like people used to just sell you something and say, good luck with that. And now they like try and really stay close to you to make sure you're getting the most out of it. And I think we need to do the same thing to make sure our internal users of IT get their outcomes, which in their case is actually being able to get their work done, be effective and right, collaborate with people. And so I think that in the same way that there's been a bit of a mindset change in the SaaS business, right, to get more focused on outcomes and stay closer, essentially, to their customers over time, I think the same thing may happen in IT, where we start to spend a lot more time thinking about how do we stay better connected to our users? How do we do a better job, not just of giving them technology, but all the things that go around that to really enable them to be successful? Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I do want to ask you, though, real quick as we wrap up, what's in the future for the company Gainsight? Any big plans or any strategic initiatives 
oh, we're growing like crazy. And I think we just, in our core functionality, we continue to just pump out amazing new innovations and capabilities. We just released Horizon Analytics, which is just this fantastic analytics capability throughout the product. And as I said, we continue to sort of expand the footprint of the ways in which we can help folks. So it's exciting times. We're hiring like crazy this year and really growing like crazy. And it's very exciting. I think customer success as a concept, as a movement is still relatively young, but it's starting to hit, I think, a maturity level. I mean, I think three years ago when I joined, a lot of people were still getting their arms around what customer success means and why this matters. And what I'm seeing now is everybody knows what it is. Everybody understands why it matters. And in fact, companies are thinking about it earlier than they used to. It used to be, they said, hey, when I get two years into my three-year deal, then I'll start worrying about renewals and how my customers are doing. And I think smart companies now are like, no, no, no. It's one of the earliest hires that they'll make is someone to lead customer success and start to create that kind of mindset and energy around their customer centricity for their company. You know, Mm -hmm. Very cool. That's good insight there. Well, Carl, thank you so much for being here. Actually, I must add, is there any other final tips or anything else you'd like to add as we wrap up? No, it's been a really interesting conversation. This was fun. And so- Very uh, cool. I don't don't know if I have a good snappy ender here. (laughs) (laughs) Or like a one-liner to close. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Carl. This has been great. It was a pleasure. Fun to talk to you. Thanks, Carl. We hope you found some value in this episode of Life in the Cloud. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. You can continue the conversation with us on LinkedIn by tagging Chris Reddy, at Chris-Reddy. That's at K-R-I-S-R-E-D-D-Y in a comment or by sending a direct message. We look forward to hearing from you.